Hi, and welcome to the Maffeo Drinks Podcast. I'm Chris Maffeo, founder of Maffeo Drinks, where we provide a no-nonsense approach to building drinks brands from the bottom up. I will be your host, and in each episode, I will interview a drinks builder from the drinks and hospitality ecosystem. In episode 22 and 23, I had the pleasure of interviewing Paul Letko. He is the founder and distiller of Few Spirits and CEO of Goza Tequila. He is the former president of the American Craft Spirits Association. He has played a key role in the revival of small batch spirits in the US and brings an incredible experience to the podcast. I hope you will enjoy our chat. Remember that this is a two-part episode, so if you liked it, feel free to listen to both part one and two of our chat. We were discussing about managing expectation of growth, that, that it's a dear topic of mine. And I mean, you having been a founder and then like move, moving on, like what's the difference between bootstrapping like in the beginning and then having yeah. investors and manage them in terms of growth? How does it work for... Uh, for a founder, because I remember we had a lot of talks like back then in Clubhouse on, on the fact that you need to manage expectation of what you want to do as a brand owner. I mean, do you want to live with a brand forever or do you want to pass it on to the next generation or, mm-hmm. or do you want to sell out, you know? And there's a lot of confusion there when people start. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really tough that you can, you can have a whole bunch of different goals as an entrepreneur. You know, your goal could be to sell to a major. Your goal could be to pass it down to your kids. Uh, your goal could be that you're going to be artistically creative and have a business that is personally satisfying. Uh, you could have it be a hobby business. You can just say, yeah, I just do this for fun. I don't need the money. We just have fun with it. And I think those are all very valid ways of doing it. But when you're operating your business, your goal should, can and should have an effect on the decisions you make. So, you know, if you're trying to sell to a major, well, you're going to need to be selling an awful lot of cases. So you need to understand that your volume and your velocity are your primary drivers and your business strategy should reflect that. If you're trying to be an artistic creator that you're going to hand out, it's just going to be a hobby, then you just do whatever you want to do and you can create what you want and it doesn't matter. Or if you're trying to hand down to your children, well, then you better be focusing a lot more uh, on your margins, quite frankly. Make sure that you're operating a profitable business that can sustain itself. If you're trying to flip, maybe you don't have to sustain quite as well. And you can put all your chips in, you know, you can shove your poker game all in and say, I'm going all in for a sale. And I'm going to go as big as I can, as fast as I can and flip it. Uh, but these are all different choices, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can go slow, you can go fast. There are different challenges in certain categories, like say, for example, whiskey, where you know growing in whiskey is extremely difficult because if you want to grow, say, 10% a year, but your product is aging for, say, seven years, you need to be producing two or three times what you're selling today so that you can have that 10% growth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you don't have any, you know, if that's true, you probably don't have anywhere near enough money to, to build the brand at that rate on a COGS basis or on a sales basis, that it's really difficult to thread that needle that you grow fast enough to make sure that you have the revenue, but slow enough that you don't outstrip your supply 
Yeah. You know, there's that's, a lot of challenges. You know, there's different gene gene comes in to help. <laughs> yeah, gin or vodka or lots of other things. Right, like in the beer, right? Yeah, yeah, beer for the most part, beer is a you know a ninety to one hundred and eighty day cash flow cycle. Spirits, you could be looking at ten years. Absolutely. And these are very different operational challenges for a brand. Mm. Um, that if you're looking to grow, you know you're going to run into challenges. And then, say for example, you're in whiskey. If you need more money, but you can't get any more leverage with no more debt, you know, where are you going to get more money other than equity? Well, yeah, equity very quickly can get really expensive too because very quickly uh, you as an entrepreneur have just bought yourself a job because you don't have more equity left because you gave it all away to buy more barrels. That's a very in interesting topic because uh, I, I was reading something, I think, earlier on LinkedIn. They were talking about some people that sold and how they felt about selling and or how they felt about keeping themselves involved in the in the role and you know that there's no right or wrong there it's just like you need to be able to make a decision and what's your experience on on the fact that for, for example like i i speak to a lot of people that create their brand but then don't actually want to sell themselves they go into hiring right away a brand ambassador or a salesperson or however we want to call it and they they haven't really learned from the market before they actually assign the job to someone, right? I think it's tough. Like if you're the brand owner and the brand creator and you're not out in the field personally understanding the market's reaction, I think it's really tough because if you don't know what the objections are, how can you expect somebody that doesn't care to overcome them? Like you as the founder slash entrepreneur, you will always be the best salesman for your product, always. And the goal as, your, as the entrepreneur then is to make it so that somebody who is less than 50% as good as you is good enough because people always want to talk to the guy. They want to talk to the girl. They want to talk to the person that made it. They want to talk to the person that owns it. That's what they want. And you know, if you talk about why do customers buy, well, retailers and buyer owners like talking to the guy. So it's really powerful to be the guy walking in and say, I made this because you've got more credibility than the brand ambassador ever will, no matter how good the brand ambassador is. And there's a lot of great brand ambassadors. They're never going to be as good as the guy that distills it. So the, the first the first step, obviously, I mean, we agree that it's it's being involved as long as possible to really understand and and get feedback from the market and understand like what the objections are, why they love it, why they don't like it, is it approachable, mm -hmm. is it not, and so on. But then the moment that you actually need to step out and and say, okay, like now I need to pass the ball on onto this new guy or girl. What's your recommendation based on your experience, like on how you transform that? enable those people to actually do your job? Well, I think of the one way you don't. I mean, really what you do is you allow them to do a lot of the, uh, they do a lot of the work, but fundamentally they then bring you in to close the deal. Okay. And it's a little bit of that transition that, you know, as you grow, if you as the founder are doing your job right, your brand ambassadors and salespeople can do their job better. Like if I'm out there doing things like, say, for example, recording podcasts and doing press interviews 
and talking to people on Clubhouse and I'm on Instagram and I am spreading my message that way, it allows the sales team and the brand ambassadors and everybody else to kind of come in because in some ways I am the one out there continuing to sell. Yeah. The people know who I am and they know, oh, you're you're from few. I've heard Paul talk. I heard I saw Paul do the podcast. I saw him do this. I, I was at a tasting at Whiskey Fest and he was there. So you don't really hand it off. You bring other people in to amplify your message and do it in a way that is just far more efficient than me walking into the store. I make them more efficient, they make me more efficient. And I just, I don't think you ever hand it off. Mm. And that's, that's one of the things, I mean, one of my favorite podcasts, it's called um, Revenue Vitals is Chris Walker. It's my inspiration, but it's a totally different field. It's like B2B marketing, SaaS marketing kind of thing. And, and for example, he always talks about this, that, that part, no, I mean, he's the CEO of a huge company and he says, you feel like organic reach is free because you're not paying Google ads or Facebook ads or whatever, but it's my time here now without being able to do something else. So actually it's my salary goes into that production costs, right? And mm -hmm. which brings me to the point that you're raising is like, how, how do you create demand for the brand? This is one of the topics that I'm, that I'm talking about because, and what actually I learned from him in his podcast is like, he said, you want to create demand before your team is able to capture that demand, right? So you want to enable that. And back in the day, sales was different because, you know, you were creating the demand and capturing the demand at the same time. I mean, when you started few, you were the guy going out, talking about it and closing the deal. But I still am that guy, right? I'm just doing it in a different way. Like I am, I continue to be out there. Am I the guy who's walking into every single retailer and doing a quick tasting with them? No, but I am in fact out there each and every day selling few. I'm just doing it in a way that's much more scalable yeah. that I can reach more people. And there's a, you know, a thought leader talks about doing things that don't scale at first. And you can't scale me walking into a bar. I, that doesn't scale. It's just one of me. But if I don't, if I don't know what happens when I walk into a bar, and if I don't understand the challenges and the opportunities that the salespeople have, I'm not going to be very effective helping them out. Absolutely. You know, what are the objections you're getting? It's like we just had a, a few spirits training with 60 or 70 reps from our distributor. That's awesome. And yeah, we talked about the brand. We talked about this. We talked about that. But fundamentally, my, my overall value proposition to them was, tell me the objections you're getting because I guarantee you I've gotten them. Are you getting the objection that it's too expensive? Are you getting the objection that it's too cheap? Are you getting the objection that you don't like it? Are you getting the objection that it's not good? Are you getting the objection that you tried it before and people didn't like it? Are you, like, if you're not selling, you're getting an objection. Absolutely. So what's the objection? And I don't care what your objection is. I've had it and I can help you get over it. That's a great way of putting it. You basically have to start doing unscalable things. But then as soon as possible, I would say, 
you know, it's designed to enable other people to continue to do that while you do that at scale. And then it becomes more of a podcast interview, talking to the media, talking, you know, <laughs> doing a training to a hundred sales reps, like doing stuff that, you know, you can really benefit from and enable other people to take on from you. Yeah. As, as a founder, when you start the company, at least like when you start the company, like I did with virtually no money, you have to do everything yourself. And so when I started few, I was production, sales, marketing, advertising, finance, janitorial, uh, AR, AP. Like it was a one man company when I first started it. And here's the thing about people, and I'm no different, is that I'm not good at all of those things. <laughs> I'm not good at AR. I'm not good at AP. I'm not good at sales. I'm not good at marketing. I'm not good at finance. Nobody is good at all of these things together. And so your job, your number one job as an entrepreneur is to fire yourself from every single role in the company that you are not the single best person on the planet for. And so that is my job and always has been is to fire myself. And when I interview people to bring them into the company, I always tell them, your job is to fire yourself because you're going to be so good at what you're doing we're going to replace you with three people and you're going to manage them. That's your number one job. It's not if I hire a sales rep, your job is not to sell. Your job is to be so good at selling it that we have to hire three people to replace you and you run them. That's your job. Love that. And so transferring these things that you are not the world's best at onto other people, that's your fundamental job as an entrepreneur. And at least with few I think I've kind of done that. My only real job at Few is to be the guy that started Few right now. And wow. there's not one single other person on the planet that can do that job. That's that's the reality. But that's that. my fundamental job is to be the guy that started what I started. No one else can. I'm the world's best at it. When you started, like one of the things that we, we were talking about earlier is the fact that brands are built bottom up, but actually, you know, the flow is actually top down, right? You know, like you, you start from an importer, you know, distributor, wholesalers, and you name it, and to the bar. The brand is built bottom up. The business is built top down. I remember we, we, we spoke about it like back in the days. And how was it for you? I mean, I, I know a lot of brands, for example, in the US, I mean, because of the three-tier system, you cannot market your own product yourself, but you need a distributor to do that. But you can do it with a with a box mover no you can have somebody that you know that does it for you and it's an enabler of that you know that makes it treat your compliant right <laughs> when you start to do that what would be your, your suggestion imagine like i launched my own brand in the us now we discussed about the, the three steps like to to get you know to get calls from distributors back in the days not now it won't it won't happen because no. at, at this stage you know, with the oversaturation of craft brands in the U.S., no distributor would ever call me. What would be your suggestion for me to to start selling? I've got I've got pallets in the warehouse. The product is ready. I just miss selling it. I, I think again, understanding your brand and who it's going to appeal to. Is your brand going to appeal to? the shot occasion or is your brand going to appeal to the whiskey snobs is your brand going to be appealing at italian restaurants or is it going to be appealing at japanese restaurants 
is your brand going to be appealing at college bars or at cocktail bars? And yes, there are brands that can, that could be appealing at all of them, mm. but that's really expensive. And if, you know, if, if you're trying to launch a brand being all things to all people, you better have a big marketing and sales budget. Whereas if you want to be a brand that lives and say, for example, you are the Mastiha for Italian restaurants. Cool. Now I know I can go to a distributor and say, hey, look, I've got, a, I've got the Mastiha for Italian restaurants in the U.S., and distributors could go, okay, got it. I sell to 50 Italian restaurants. I can go drop this Mestija into 50 Italian restaurants, and you are going to go market it and have those Italian restaurants drive volume. Now, you know, how much Mestija can you sell at 50 Italian restaurants? Well, you probably can't sell 100,000 cases in 50 restaurants, but can you sell 500 cases a year? And 50 restaurants? Yeah, you probably can. It's aggressive, but you can. And that could be your goal. That could be your goal. Mm. You're going to start off selling 50 cases into those 50 restaurants, but inside of three years, maybe you're selling 500. Yeah. And, and how- that's your goal. That's your focus. And that you, you understand what your customer is, who they are, yeah. where they live, why they buy, what the occasion is. Now you've provided value to your customer that goes beyond solving an intoxication problem. Absolutely. And by focusing on that, that occasion, you've made your brand sticky in the mind of consumer because they know when to drink it. So when, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how small that occasion is, it's rep- replicable at scale. And then there, is, will, there will be a lot of people having it an amaro after dinner in an Italian restaurants around the world. Yep. You know, it's even, even now, if it's I, only I, that. I know, I know to drink Fernet Branca after I have an Italian meal. Now, if I'm Fernet Branca, I can extend that. Oh, I also drink Fernet after I eat steak. So I could have Fernet yeah. Branca at steak restaurants. Exactly. Now I can go and I can do, oh, and I drink Fernet and Coke when I'm in an Argentinian restaurant. Now I can have that. But now I've got all these drinky occasions that I that are created because I know as a brand owner when my drinking occasion is. Yeah. Why do people drink few spirits? Why do people drink few over Elijah Craig? There's a reason why people drink few over Elijah Craig. And if I don't know what that is, I'm probably in trouble. How do you bring on that distributor that wants to sell you know that you want him to sell the, the to the 50 restaurant like when is the right moment is it is it right to use like a three-tier compliance system in the meantime until you actually get to a certain leverage that you can bring in hmm. to those clients it depends on the brand like if you can show success but like every distributor on the planet, if you could bring a distributor a package that they can instantly understand, instantly understand how to execute, instantly understand that they can hit your goals, that you're not going to be yelling at them every week, that oh, how could you not selling more, um, you know, how could you not selling more of this thousand dollar bottle of gin? And like I sold five bottles of it. That's a lot of five. That's a lot of thousand dollar bottle of gin. Yeah, but I thought you were going to sell 25,000 cases. Oh, I can't sell 25,000 cases of that. 
um, you know, if you could bring a distributor a package that can win, they're going to pick you up, right? Yeah. Distributors distribute. So if you can come to them with your sales and marketing plan and your finance and your people and your boots on the street and show them how you are, if the brand can show the distributor how the brand solves a problem the distributor has, they're going to pick you up every day of the week. You just, you as the brand just have to be better prepared because you have to understand all these things. You have to have the sales plan. You have to have a marketing plan. You have to have the incentives. You have to have the reason why a distributor cares. And they only care if you're solving a problem for them, mm. whether it's a, I'm not making enough money problem. That's a really important problem to solve for distributors, making them money. It's just, it can be a strategic problem. I don't currently have a Amaro from Sicily in my book. Maybe I need an Amaro from Sicily. Maybe I don't. But I can now understand, okay, this, this brand solves a problem for me that other brands don't solve. Got it. Now I need that brand and I can go win with it. But, oh, yeah, I've got a vodka from corn. I've got 30 vodkas from corn. What problem does that solve for me? Well, it's really good. All my other ones are really good too. Oh, but it's 25 bucks. Okay, well, I've got 15 corn vodkas that are 25 bucks already. Why do I carry yours? Oh, well, I'm coming in with, you know, we're doing TV spend. We're doing ad campaigns. We've got five people in market. We've got, you know, we've got all these reasons. Oh, okay, yeah. I will make more money selling your product than I do otherwise. Oh, I've got a, you know, I'm a aperitivo from Carlo Vivari. Oh, I understand where I can sell an aperitivo from Carlo Vivari. Now I understand how I can do this. That's the thing with bringing something to the table because I get a lot of calls and, you know, messages on, oh, hey, can you recommend us, you know, a distributor for Czech Republic? And it's just like, yeah, man, I could, but, you know, basically I'm just name dropping and it, it doesn't make any sense to you because you will call them and, you know, they will never answer to you and you will actually kind of like burn by name, no? And, and right. th that is another of these things that I think I feel brand owners often do not understand is that there is an importer thing that takes the brand horizontally, you know, at national level. And then there are wholesalers that do it at, at city level or at state level, city level, neighborhood level, if it's a big city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their network is their <laughs> net worth. No? And they cannot burn their name on a brand that it's going to be there like six months and then it's going to run out of money and it's going to disappear because all of a sudden their, cl their clientele is going to ask, okay, I want to order that brand. And it's like, no, sorry. It left the market. I mean, they went bust. There is a matter like of managing expectations that it's really, really needed in, mm -hmm. in understanding, okay, like what are the players in the ecosystem and how do we navigate importers, distributors, bartenders, bar owners, brand owners, oh. and so on. Like with, so like with Goza, I've talked to a few friends in Europe trying to, you know, trying to find distributors in Europe and it's never, do you know who's a good distributor? It's always, do you know a distributor that needs to have a tequila in their book around 30 euros retail? That's a different question than can you recommend a distributor to me? Yes. <laughs> it's a question of 
this is the product, this is where it's going to fit. Do you happen to know somebody? Exactly. And that's a start. Like, obviously, that's not the end all be all, but you know, that's a different question. Hey, I recommend a distributor for an RTD. No. Recommend a distributor for a RTD that is a vodka soda that has fruit flavors and packaged in a you know, 16 ounce can. Oh, well, maybe that would work here. And at the same time, it's so simple to understand. I mean, it's the same thing when somebody asks me like, oh, I've got a friend that is coming to Prague. Do you have any tips? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I mean, like, I don't know, like go to yeah. the castle, you know, what, what do you right. mean? He wants some restaurants and it's like, yeah, but is he coming with his wife? Is he coming with five guys? Is it coming like, is it like a stag night? Is it like a romantic dinner? Is he going to propose his wife? You know, tell me something, you know, what, what do they want? Like a Czech traditional pub? I need, I need some dining? goulash, my friend. <laughs> I'm going to tell him I want some goulash. And I want to have some really good beer. And, and I, I don't want fancy. I just want a nice little neighborhood joint. Yeah. But I want to eat some really good goulash or have some really good beer. No, when, and, ah, and cool. I'm, Here's five places for you. Yeah, and I'm still, I'm, I'm still waiting for you over here. Like, uh, I'm, I can't wait to have you and visit some breweries as well. Yeah, I still miss, uh, I really miss my grandma's goulash. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. No, fantastic. So I don't want to steal more of your time, Paul. Like, this has been um, a really great ex experience. Lots of interesting points and great tips I'm going to reuse, if you allow me. <laughs> and I want to leave you some space to, you know, to advertise your, your product. The older ones and the newer ones. So, like, where, yeah, where, sure. can, where can people find you and, and find your more, more about your products? Sure. So, beyond Few Spirits, you can find us fewspirits.com, at Few Spirits across all your social medias. Uh, we're sold in 50 states and about 40 countries all over the world. So wherever you happen to be listening, you can probably find Few Spirits uh, across Europe, Master Malt, or uh, the Whiskey Exchange, uh, across the US, major retailers everywhere. And then on top of that, I also uh, own a tequila brand called Goza Tequila. It's available online in the US at shopgozatequila.com. You can also find us in Illinois, Maryland, Delaware, D.C., South Carolina, and launching soon in about four or five other states. Nice. Uh, also, at, at goes a tequila across all your socials. Fantastic, Paul. So thanks, thanks so much for your time. And, uh, thanks, Chris. And, and speak soon. Yeah, be well, my friend. Take care. Remember that this is a two-part episode. So if you liked it, feel free to listen to both part one and two of our chat. That's all for today. I hope you gain valuable insights. If you liked it, please rate it and share it with friends. Hit the follow button to never miss one. Don't forget the brands are built bottom up.